This week's episode of GoGab, Cameron unveils some big news. We talk about what's happening on our farms, as well as visit with our reproductive technology expert, Stanton Warren, small ruminant program lead for Transova Genetics. Stay tuned and get excited. Good day, everyone listening to Goat Gab here. Cameron Jadlowski back on the podcast for another exciting rendition of Goat Gab. And this is Laura Warren Hughes, and we are excited to welcome my brother-in-law, Stanton Warren, today. Good afternoon. Stanton, so glad to bring you onto the podcast here today. I'm really excited to learn about some of the reproductive technologies that you work with on a daily basis, as well as how they can help advance genetic uh, advancement in the dairy goat industry. Yes, sir. Have you had a good week, Cameron? Yes, Laura, I have actually uh, some exciting news on the personal front. Um, I proposed to my girlfriend uh, this weekend. Uh, she said yes, uh, thankfully. And then, um, yeah, so we've been just experiencing a lot of love and support from our friends and family on that as we uh, go through this very exciting time. Well, congratulations, Cameron and and Catherine, and good luck, Catherine. You may need it. (laughs) I mean that with all kinds of love, guys. I'm really happy for you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, but nonetheless, Laura, what's been happening on your farm? Well, I'll tell you what. It's been a great week. We've had nice weather, though I think it's starting to take a downhill plunge, but my afternoon is going to be spent building fence. I've had an escapee buck, so... Uh, that's always a fun thing to, to look at. He's learned how to climb cattle, cattle panels. So ugh, ugh, That is never fun. Very dangerous for bucks as they get very excited this time of year. Um, but it's a problem that many goat breeders have had to face, including, and we find ourselves always fixing those fences now in this time of year. Well, today it's kind of funny. Um, we noticed that he has a follower uh, we have a lone sheep and she thinks that buck is really nice too. So I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that we don't have any gleep. I don't know what you would call it. Geep. Geep. Um, but it's kind of funny. It's kind of funny to watch him feeling harassed by um, our lone sheep instead of him harassing, uh, doing the harassing part. So yes, he is not into her. She's into him. Yeah. <laughs> And Stanton, uh, why don't you kind of introduce yourself and then talk about kind of what's happening on your farm in our segment on the farm. Well, my name is Stanton Warren and I grew up here where Laura is. I grew up in Don, Missouri. We grew up raising and showing Nubian dairy goats under the Don Delane herd name here in North Central Missouri. I went to college and then started working for Transova soon out of college here in Chillicothe, Missouri. I actually started in the fall of 1996. And then in 2001, I married my wife, Kelly, who is also a local gal. And then we eventually had three boys, Patrick, Eli, and Grant. And we currently raise Oberhosleys and Nigerian dwarfs. We recently sold out of our Bordeaux. We, we raised boars for quite a few years. And then just kind of cover the country. Um, watching the boys play sports, football, and basketball. And in fact, we just came from uh, the beginning of our junior high basketball season. We had a game locally here and, and just got, got away from that. 
Well, that's really exciting to see that sports are coming back in some areas of the country um, and the youth have an opportunity to to get out and, and pull it and return to play here. Um, so I am much looking forward to that in my home state in Illinois when um, that is deemed appropriate. But that's awesome that sports are coming back. It would be a boring place around here. You know, r- rural Missouri, if you don't have football and basketball, it, it's, it gets to be kind of a long fall and winter. So Yes, and, and Stanton, what's kind of happened on your farm this past week here with the, with the Oberhotsleys and the Nigerians? We have not started breeding. I know you guys have talked quite a bit about your breeding programs and what's been going on with your AIs and just live covers and such, but we haven't started breeding. I, we've been recording heats on, I think everybody's, in fact, even quite a few of the doe kids have, have cycled, but we've, we're probably going to start breeding on the next set of heat cycles, which should be coming up in the next week or so. So we've, we've been pretty kind of holding off and probably from a selfish standpoint, we, I don't want to milk too many goats during the school <laughs> year. So we're, we're holding off as late as possible. I'm not quite as hardcore show, show minded as Laura is and so we're more focused on when we're milking rather than when a senior kid is born or things like that so just yeah, haven't, no, haven't attacked it yet yeah no that was always a, a a thing growing up where my dad was a school teacher and then a principal at one point and then we kind of had to plan when we were going to milk and when we were going to have babies around what was happening with school as well as what was happening with the kids as well um, the two-legged kids, not the four-legged kids. Um, right. So, yeah, no, that's definitely a, a concern. And, and some dairy goat breeders do see that as, as you know, that's a big concern. Well, and it's, you know, over the years, I've learned that that to have a good balance of family life and goat life, sometimes you do have to make those compromises. And, and if you don't, that's when family members start resenting the goats when they start getting in the way of other things that are just as important, but not on the goat table. So I think, I think good balance. I I agree with you on that, but I will tell you what uh, the, the goats clipping goats has gotten me out of many family reunions that I maybe did not want to go to. (laughs) Nobody wants a Harry Cameron at, at uh, reunions, no. then, huh? No, no, and uh, I am thankful for that. I, I do appreciate that side of the family; very fun, just just a little different. And their family reunion was always in July, so um, that that's our generally tends to be our busy time. So, totally understand that. So, yeah. Anything else? now? Are your um, last time when we talked your lap ais had passed their waiting period and and you were uh guardedly optimistic everybody's still stuck and going yep. on from there as as of now on my farm everything is stuck um and we've preg checked everything over 30 days now and everything's stuck so some of the traditional transferable ais have done uh have stuck and then some of the lap ais have stuck as well um, yesterday, in kind of the the excitement of the engagement, um, Catherine was still a little down because one of her lap AIs came into heat at about twenty eight days, six weeks. At six weeks, she came back into heat. Mm. So, oh bummer! Yeah, so she was a little down, but I said, you know, would it be a good goat relationship? I didn't. I didn't feel sympathy on a really happy day for a goat project. <laughs> 
Well, at least you guys have that understanding that you can share. Yes, absolutely. And, and dinner and, and we went out to drinks beforehand. And, you know, the, the topic of conversation generally is goats. And I really enjoy that because I could never get enough goats. I mean, I, we started a goat podcast. I know. What do you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But um, that's kind of what happened this week. And then generally uh, also something I did, which was a little different, was I went ahead and brought up an Excel sheet. And I dug into some of the linear traits that I could find of daughters to see if something would be improved based on those linear traits. And then I sought some feedback from the industry as well. I saw that on Facebook. Um, where did you go with that project? Yeah. So what I what I did was I would go and pick daughters that had been appraised of a certain buck that we had AI to go to. It really didn't matter. I just see if I wanted to prove a point or not and really, you know, try to trace my hunch. Um the feedback I got from the industry was it might not have been the best because I was examining qualitative traits instead of quantitative traits. And that might've been a little skewed based on which appraiser and at what stage of lactation those animals were presented and how old they were. Um, but I still was able to go and make a, an interesting case as we talked about it between myself and my dad. You know, I wondered if your dad didn't have something to do with that, trying to prove a point or, that, that's how things around here sometimes go when we have those discussions with my daughters. Yeah, and generally it was built, that, that whole spreadsheet was built out of to prove a point to my dad. Um, it was interesting. Um, would I do it again and would I continue to do that analysis? Yes. Um, would I use it as 100% of what I should base my genetic decisions on? No. Very interesting. Um, You'll have to let us know how that works out down the road. Yes, definitely. And I'll continue to build some more stuff out and whatnot um, as we continue to develop in the, into this um, genetics world that um, the dairy goat industry is providing with all of this information. Awesome. Shall we jump into our topic today with Stanton? Yes, absolutely. We're going to be talking about reproductive technologies, um, kind of what the industry has right now where the industry is going and um, where do we see some of the future technologies that can be implemented um, into your dairy goat herd. So Stanton, why don't you, um, you know, take it away. We'll just open the floor right away and we can delve into that. Well, I can, I can probably start the easiest by kind of explaining a little bit of the history of myself along with Transova genetics. Yeah. And that I mentioned, I started in 1996 with Transova in Chillicothe, Missouri, which is a satellite of our headquarters, which headquarters is in Sioux Center, Iowa, which is in the far northwest corner of Iowa. And Chillicothe was one of our first satellites. And so I started in that company with 100% cattle work. And at the time, even in, in 96, we were basically, the majority of what we were doing was embryo transfer, conventional embryo transfer. And so since that time, I've so I've been involved with that from a from a recep herdsman, a donor herdsman, and a customer service standpoint, and, and, and then also not only customer service but also just general coordination of and scheduling of what was going on with within our satellite. And, and that, oh, go ahead. Cameron. When you say recep herdsman, could you kind of define some of those terms there? So we house we house recipients and sell recipients to clients in the cattle side of things. And we, we get them pregnant, recips or cows pregnant with a client's embryos and then sell them a pregnant recipient at about 70 days pregnant. And that is a, another word for a, 
a recipient that a lot of people might understand is surrogate. Okay. And so we, we sell those pregnancies or those cows to clients and have for a very long time to those clients. And then they calve them out. That's it's their cow and it's their calf, obviously. A donor herdsman donors are the, the elite animals, the, the animals that you're trying to replicate. And, and those are, you know, I started out as a donor herdsman. Actually, I started as a recip herdsman and kind of moved into donor management there on the farm there at Chillicothe and then kind of gradually worked into customer service work. Okay. Yeah. Great. Well, that, that work, you know, that from 96 till 2015, and I'm still, still involved in the cattle side of things at, in Missouri. Uh, and in 2015, we were, our satellite as a group kind of brought forth the idea of doing small ruminant work to the leaders of Transova. And they allowed us to start that process by hiring a veterinarian specifically hired to be the small ruminant veterinarian. And so we started our, he started the small ruminant program with Transova in 2015 in the fall, basically with training and getting that veterinarian trained up and, and going in the, the whole process, learning the processes and, and doing them well. And then in basically in 2016 started doing work for clients in the small ruminant industry. And since that time, we've progressed. We, we started right away doing lap AIs, surgical flushing, and then, you know, and obviously embryo transfers as well. And, and in the beginning, we also started with in vitro fertilization. And that process has just taken more time to perfect and develop and then we now offer in vitro fertilization for goats in you know in, in our toolbox. So Stanton, I'm not I'm not an animal science major and I'm I'm not necessarily well versed in all terms reproduction. And this may be a really basic dumb question, but could you explain to me the difference between embryo embryo transfer and IVF? Okay. When I talk about embryo transfer in vivo fertilization is in the body and in vitro fertilization is is outside of the body or in a laboratory and so an et flush or surgical flush on a doe is where you have her ovulate super ovulate and she ovulates all of her own eggs into her own body and you fertilize those those eggs in her body and then flush them out of her so she could have 10, 15 fertilized eggs inside her body at that time before you flush her? Yes, hopefully. Okay. <laughs> Around a dozen, eight to 12 is about a, is a good flush. And that is a surgical procedure where they make an incision on her midline, right in between her umbilical area and her, her foreudder. And about a, a four inch incision, they expose the uterus during the procedure and flush those embryos out of her body at about seven days old. And so then those embryos go ahead. Oh, and that's after, that's after fertilization. Correct. So you've already, so the goats already fertilized, been fertilized after, you know, super ovulating and you're just bringing them out. Correct. Correct. And so those, those embryos then can, then can be transferred fresh 
or be frozen for later use, just like similar to freezing semen and, and keeping it in nitrogen and being able to thaw it whenever you want to thaw them and use a later date. And they're just like semen where they will, will stay as long as you store them properly and correctly, they can, they can live for an indefinite amount of time in nitrogen. So then IVF, you are not fertilizing it inside the goat. You're taking the eggs from the goat and fertilizing them in a laboratory. Yes. So with IVF, we are going into the dough laparoscopically. We don't make any incisions on a on an IVF dough. And we go in laparoscopically and aspirate those follicles off of her ovaries. And those follicles will have oocytes or eggs in them. And we we harvest as many eggs as we can or oocytes on that particular day and then fertilize them in a dish the, the next day. And then we mature those in the incubators in the lab. And then seven days after we aspirate the donor, we transfer those embryos fresh or freeze them. And they, they're just like a, an ET embryo where we can freeze them and store them indefinitely. There's a lot more that could be explained. <laughs> and, you know, hopefully maybe we can get into some of those things. But those are the two big ways of, of making babies from a, from a donor female. So do you do more IVF with goats or do you do more embryo transfer work? Or is it kind of equal? As an industry, there's far more goats that are flushed or conventional ET. And that's probably because and when I, when I talk industry, I'm talking about boar goats, full blood boar goats, Kikos, dairy goats. There's, there's a lot more conventional flushing happening in our country than IVF. IVF is really quite new to, to our small ruminant industry. And where it's been going on since I, early 2010s, you know, we've been doing IVF in cattle since back in early 90s. But as far as really successful, competitive IVF work in, in cattle, that's, that started in around 2010, you know, as far as gearing it up and, and really having good results. As far as the goat industry, IVF is fairly new in terms of probably more like, I don't think we offered it until April of 2018 into, for, for goat people. Now, so there's, there's a lot more flushing happening in the country than IVF as it's, it's fairly new. Very interesting. Yeah. And lap AI versus transcervical AI. You know, it, it seems to me just in talking with dairy goat breeders, there's a lot more transcervical AI that's done just because, you know, I can run out and do that in my barn. Um, why, why do you guys, why would somebody consider doing lap AI instead of transcervical and what kind of success rates can you expect with that? So you asked, what's the benefit of a lap AI compared to a speculum AI? Right. We can go into a, a farm and I mean, I know this isn't something probably in the dairy goat industry other than large dairies, but that can be beneficial. But we can go in there and do 100 to 200 lap AIs in a day. And I think for, and because they're all, it's a, a laparoscopic procedure it's all about time. It's on a, a kind of a timed AI process. You can run them through and do lots and lots of does in a day. I don't know how many speculum AIs you could do in a day. And so just the, the process of 
how many you can run through is an advantage to a lap AI. And I, I think back, you know, I've, I've mentioned the, the full blood industry for boar goats compared to say a dairy goat industry and dairy goats, as you all know, have been doing speculum AI, transcervical AI for years and years and years. And back when I was a kid and, um, the dairy goat industry has definitely embraced AI from that standpoint, the, the boar goat, the full blood market, and even the weather type market, they embraced embryo transfer as compared to AI. Now the, the sheep industry is probably where the majority of laparoscopic AIs are performed. Is it true that you can't, um, you know, transcervically AI sheep, correct? Correct. I, I mean, there's a, there's a new, I can't even think of the name of it, but Ramgo, I think, but there's, there's, there's a, and I'm not going to come up with the right words, but there's an anatomical piece of something that covers the cervix on a sheep that makes it so you can't get into that, get into the cervix. And I can't think of the name. Levi Campbell could think of the name right now, but um, that, that prevents you from getting in like a, a transcervical, like we're used to with goats. And so the sheep industry has definitely embraced laparoscopic AI because of that. And then also they will, instead of using frozen semen, they'll use, they'll get a ram and jump the ram, use fresh semen and cover 25 ewes with one jump in that day. And, and so that's, that's another thing or, or have fresh, a fresh ejaculate flown in or shipped in via UPS overnight from three or four States away. And so you can, you can do that in sheep and you can do that in goats if you wanted to, but that's where the sheep industry has really taken on to lap AIs. And so you, you ask a little bit then Laura about what's the success rate. I would say with frozen semen, you're looking at about 50% with fresh semen. I, I would say you can bump that number up to, 60 maybe 70 percent and and with any of this there are so many factors involved in in all of the success or the the end product success but you know everything works out and aligns right and does well and you've got an 80 percent but i think that you know 50 percent with frozen semen is is something to be happy with yeah i definitely think there's an industry standard when it comes to that and everyone's a little bit different because some, I mean, just how animals, and this is what I've noticed from our lap AIs versus our transcervical AIs, is it's just every goat is different um, when it comes to their timing, when it comes to their mucus level inside when you're doing transcervical. Um, and because of that variance, um, we, you know, I, I think that 50% number is really respectable for the entire industry. And something I would add to that, not only that it's timed AI, the difference in a a laparoscopic AI is that you are depositing semen in the uterine horn. You're going directly into the uterine horn where with speculum AI, we're either depositing in the cervix or just past the cervix. And so your semen doesn't have to travel as far with a laparoscopic AI. Yeah, great point there. Um, and one question I do have, and I'm looking over these procedures, lap AIs, there's surgical flushes, there's IVF. Um, some goat breeders are concerned about kind of the invasiveness of this. Could you talk about the invasiveness of it and kind of what the procedures entail for the animal, if there's any cutting or, or any lacerations that need to be made? So with the laparoscopic AI, there would not be any 
cutting or incisions, anything laparoscopic has a basically a puncture. And so when you are done with the process and all of the animals are, are under anesthesia during the process, and so they're mostly knocked out and they are actually put on a cradle. I, I should mention that because it, it's something that with everything we do, whether we're talking lap AI or a flush or a aspiration for IVF, all these, these goats and sheep are knocked out and turned over and laid on a cradle on their back. So back to the, the different procedures and what they involve physically with the, the animal, the, a laparoscopic AI or a laparoscopic OPU, which is what we do for IVF. An OPU is ovum pickup. I'll call it an OPU or an aspiration when I talk about it. And those are just punctures. Those are not any incisions. And so those punctures, we really just super glue those closed unless you've got a little problem and they may put a little stitch in them. But those are very uninvasive and that little, you know, little bit of glue and they're fine. And so those recoveries and healing on those are generally quite easy and quite nice. The when they transfer an embryo in a recipient, that's mostly laparoscopic, but they do make a little bit of an incision on the belly, and that's maybe maybe a half an inch or less of a, than a half an inch, and it's just so they can exteriorize that little portion of the uterine horn that they need to to get the to to see to put the embryo in or embryos in, and so that takes a, like a stitch or two. That's pretty simple. Now, a flush, a surgical flush for conventional embryo transfer is about, like I mentioned earlier, it's about a four or five inch incision on her midline. And that is, that's a, a full-blown surgery and recovery takes a little longer. And, and then obviously we, you run the risk of potential adhesions and situations like that with a conventional flush. Great. Uh, one, I guess one question I did have, and it, it seems like the board goat industry, like you talked about, has embraced embryo transfer. Um, well, the dairy goat industry has kind of embraced transcervical AI. Have you seen any problems? And this is an experience that I've had and both my fiance and I have seen is um, hitting the milk vein when they're looking in that laparoscopic procedure or making those really small incisions. Have you seen that in dairy goats when, when either laparoscopic eyeing them or, or doing um, some ET work. I don't know that I would, and I'm not a veterinarian yep. to speak to actual proper internal terminology, yep. but I, I know that there's times when they will get a, they will hit a blood spot or vein. I don't know that I would call that a milk vein. Those are generally pretty, pretty visible to yep. them. And they're in fact, they are pretty cautious about those, the bigger milk veins whenever they're going in for a procedure. But, you know, there are times when we've hit uh, a vein enough that they do have to go ahead and stitch things up. Now, when you're doing a flush, a conventional flush with the bigger incision, that's, they're generally not hitting veins too badly and that kind of a thing. But there's times when they hit, yeah, hit a spot or get a lot of blood and they just generally just suture that up and it's generally a pretty good, pretty good heal. But there are times when that healing might involve a 
a hematoma and get a little bit of swelling there. And that's just something to be cautious about. Yeah. And, I, and that brings up a good point that we do want to mention here. Um, Stanton's not a veterinarian and he's not a reproductive uh, physiologist. Um, so we're trying to stay away from some of those veterinary things that might come up. Stanton, would you agree with that? Yes. I, I, I know enough to be dangerous, but I try to stay in my lane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, as I'm experiencing on my farm, usually uh, buck falls in love with doe, doe falls in love with buck. It all happens pretty easily, sometimes easier than you want it to. Um, why or or when should a dairy goat breeder consider um, using a reproductive specialist or, or some of these other technology things? Um, you know, sell those, sell that. Why would, why would I want to consider that? So as far as the different services that Transova offers? Yeah, sure. That's a great example. So I think a, a laparoscopic AI with a dairy goat producer could be, um, I often think we've never done this to any degree, but I often think that people are always nervous about AIing doe kids as far as a speculum AI. But definitely a, a laparoscope, laparoscopic AI would be a, an advantage to that because you're not worrying about whether you can get into the cervix or different things like that. And so that would be something as far as laparoscopically where dairy goat, the dairy goat industry could use that technology. Um, nervousness of, of high dollar semen or rare semen that you, you want to make sure that goes in the uterus and you don't want to mess with worrying about getting through the cervix. So you just bypass that and go to a lap AI. Big groups of, I, I think of dairies, dairy goat dairies are certainly on the increase in our country. And I think that they definitely have an opportunity to use something like lap AI where you can go in, go somewhere and AI 100 to 200 does in a day. I mean, that's mass breeding and getting a lot of does bred in a short amount of time to kid in a short amount of time on a, a timed AI. So if I have a dose Stanton that, and I think all of us that, that AI have these does they're they're they just seem to be not good candidates for transcervical. It's hard to tell when they're in heat or they have a really short heat window or for whatever reason, you've just not been able to catch them to do a traditional transcervical AI. Would those be a better candidate for a lap AI then? Well, it just takes, I don't know that they would be more successful in getting pregnant AI, but it, if you had trouble with their cervix or the timing, or you may be able to get more does bred that are that kind of a problem. I see. Or, that you're having problems with on another, from another situation. That, that would be my only thought would be just bypassing the worry of that cervix okay. and going straight to the uterus. Yeah. Very good. Yes, yes, yes. Um, Go ahead, Laura. So what other, what other considerations should breeders think about when they're considering if they want to go that next step down the road of reproductive technology? I think that anytime you have a female that is superior to the rest of the herd and that you, you know that you can make as many babies as possible out of that dough and either sell them or that you want to bring them back into the herd. I mean, any doe that's proven that you could, that more babies from her are, are an advantage to your program. 
And so then you start weighing out the, the pros and cons of flushing or IVF. And whether that's you're looking at the, whether you're looking at worrying about the surgical process, then you go to IVF where it's all laparoscopic. You, you have the buck that you want a breed or two, and he's it at your farm or down the road at somebody else's farm and you're okay with flushing, you may go to a conventional flush. If you have frozen semen, that is, you know, I've, we've been, I've been dealing with some of these lately that there are four units known in the country on a given buck. That is definitely where you would take that semen and utilize it in IVF. So Stan, I have a goat that um, has a lot of reproductive value to me. She's a little older. She hasn't been bred in a year now. Um, she's got some arthritis issues and, and we don't know if she's going to get bred because we don't know if she's in the best condition. What would you recommend for me if I wanted to do some type of reproductive technologies program? I would probably encourage you to go the IVF route because we found that older does. And I, when I talk older does in the dairy industry, I'm talking about a eight, nine, 10 year old doe. We've noticed that they have performed very similarly to their, you know, two, three, four-year-old counterparts, where with conventional flushing, you don't see that kind of success with, with those older does. Okay. And so I definitely encourage you to look at the IVF route. With okay. Her. So if I were to go to the IVF route, and I just want to make sure I'm understanding this correctly, I would need to bring donors, correct, for that, or a recips? Recips. You would set your donor up. We would aspirate her on a given day. At that same time, you've synchronized your recipients to be in heat during that same time period when you're doing the, the aspiration on the donor. And then a week later, we would implant embryos into your recipients. Okay. Okay. And then do you have four recipients? Um, generally, I hear from a lot of board guys that dairy goats are the best. Um, do you have a preference on uh, whether it's kids as recipients or those that have maybe already freshened? What do you think makes the best recipient for an IVF or an embryo transfer? I think what what I'm probably finding, and I don't know that everybody has has this opportunity, but dry yearlings or coming coming yearlings seem to be a, a very good group to be working with. From a from a dairy recipient standpoint, but certainly anything that's open, anything that has a a good, good healthy uterus, and an animal that you're not worried about having a kidding problem, and then for for dairy goats, obviously we're we're raising them, we're bottle raising them or hand raising them, and so you're not so worried about whether that that recipient can do a good job raising her babies because she's probably going to be hand milked. And so, you know, that's, that's something that is different than the, the Borgoat industry where the, the recepts are raising the babies. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's an idea that uh, myself and my fiance have tossed around here and doing, and, and we definitely have a candidate for that, as I kind of mentioned there, but um, I, I know Laura, and I guess this is a dairy goat consideration here, Laura, and you might have some considerations about this too, is, <laughs> Um, what like type of value like those kids provide those does provide as dry yearlings or, or as older younger stock, um, not reaching one year old yet, 
and them having kids. So, Laura, is that ever a concern for you as you want to freshen and see kids out of a, a first freshener dough? I have a dry yearling, but um, I really am eager to see how she freshens. She toes okay. out, and I'm I'm kind of a fanatic about toe out <laughs> and alpine. I don't like it, and I don't have it in my herd, but she does. So, in my in my way of thinking, she'd be a great one to use uh, to incubate to grow um, an embryo because that way I can see what she looks like when she freshens. But I'm not going to be tempted to keep those kids knowing that she toes out. So. Um, I wouldn't have any problems doing that. And I've got some kids that I've thought about too. Huh. Wonder if I could make her into a recipient if I, you know, wanted to do that. So I had a coworker years ago, bring this, this idea to light and it. I've shared it with a fair number of people over the years. And, and most people kind of look at me like, ah, no, you're wrong. But if, if you look at your herd and you have, Let's say, let's say you have 20 does and two of those does are linear praised and 90 or above and they milked 3,500 pounds in 305 days and both of them did that and they are far superior to everything else in your herd. Those does are your donor does and in reality, the rest of your 18 does can be recipients because if they're not better than those two does, then they could very easily and logically carry embryos from those two does. But everybody has a, I know that everybody, however, has a plan for, <laughs> oh, but I want to bring this dough to this buck because it's going to give me this, or if she's out of this dough and I really want her to be bred to this buck, you know, that everybody has a plan for, their breeding program in each individual doe, but in hardcore reality, there's better does and those are your donors. And if they're not, if your other does aren't better than them, they could be recipient. That's an interesting, that's an interesting thought. Yes. Yes. Hmm. And it goes against a lot of what, um, you know, me as a breeder and wanted to make some type of progress on each doe, um, you know, seeing, okay, what traits can I put together in this buck <laughs> for this doe? in order to see some type of progress. Uh, but I, I agree with it from a, from a, a cycle or not a cycle from a philosophy standpoint. Um, and I definitely see the value as a goat breeder for that. Is there a time that, that you would say uh, that that goat is just too old. We're, we're not, we're not, this is not a good candidate. With IVF, I would say less, I would say fewer times. No, the one thing that I, I want that people should always keep in mind is that if she's, if a doe is old and has some, some type of health issue or um, say even a structure issue, like she's one legged and or going bad on one leg. And so she's laying around all the time or she's whatever reason might have a, a problem going on with her, then she's not a good candidate. But if she's, still healthy and still eating well and is mobile and gets around fine and, and is part of the herd. She's a candidate for IVF. And that's something that I would definitely like to bring up is the, the idea of something that we don't like to talk about. And that is a terminal and doing a, a process with IVF where the dough would be put down and we would take the ovaries out of her body 
and then process those ovaries and get as many oocytes as we can from her ovaries and hopefully make, you know, a good number of babies from those oocytes. Yeah. And, and that's something that isn't a pleasant conversation to have with people, but it's a very real possibility and something that I would definitely like to, to educate the, our industry about is that opportunity. So, so say I have a goat that, that passes away. Um, how fast would that process need to be started? Would we need to be thinking about it before the animal dies? Because uh, this is something I've seriously considered uh, when one of my animals would pass away, um, in addition to my fiance whispering in my ear about this as well. Um, you know, when do we need to start that process and when do we need to start thinking about it? The whole process needs to happen. The, the thought process needs to happen before she gets starts going downhill. So it's something that, you know, you if you go out there tonight, Cameron, and you've got a doe that passed away, it's done. We can't do anything other than cloning. We can't do anything at that point with that that doe or buck reproductive. Okay. Well, I shouldn't say that. Bucks you could post posthumously, posthumously yes. collect. But yes. That, and, and do you, do you have experience with, with that? I hate to, we're going down a rabbit hole, but I, I think it's a good rabbit hole. I do just from the standpoint of knowing okay. it was done, um, mainly with bulls. And I know we've done some work with recently with a, with buck semen in IVF that worked. And then I know they've done that with sheep semen as well. And they do it with deer okay. all the time, but, um, yeah, that is that's definitely a possibility from the male stock side of everything. Um, from a female standpoint, from a doe standpoint, you you need to do the whole process before she starts going downhill, because you're. I know that from lots of experience that if she's stopped eating or just stopped moving around, and then you try to do it, your results are are just not going to be where you want them to be. And so I really encourage people to do that when they're still healthy, just old, but healthy. Okay. And so that would involve, obviously, uh, putting the animal down then, I'm assuming. Again, kind of a hard topic to talk about, but I think it's a, it's a question that's valid. It can be a difficult topic, obviously. I've, I've had lots of people talk to me lately about it, and I do think that there's the possibility of surgically removing a doe's ovaries and not putting her down. It just would be a much longer process to to get those ovaries out, and then a longer recovery on the on the dough. Well, you're not going to recover from death, but <laughs> if she if she did a did a surgery to remove the ovaries, you could keep that dough around, and and that way have her still around in the herd and and on the farm, and and then still be able to get something out of her reproductively, you know, babies out of her yes. somehow. Yes. So well, that that's a possibility. But yes, for the terminal IVF, you are you're putting them down and removing the ovaries and that those ovaries need to be out of the dough very soon after she is deceased. It's not anything you can find her dead and then and then take her ovaries out two hours. So later. from a from a purely a process standpoint here where we need to call you um, at Transova Genetics and, and say, hey, I have this dough. She's going to you know, be passing away. And we think in the next couple of weeks, I, I want to take these ovaries out um, and get, you know, some valuable oocytes for, and, and correct me if I'm wrong throughout this whole thing, 
do do we need to let you know about this you know a week in advance or three days or or how fast do we need to make this process go with the genetics company we're working with so i would say if if, if you could give somebody a couple weeks that would be ideal but i've literally worked on things like this within a day and so there are times when it's i mean and even there's a lot to talk about on this mm-hmm. topic cameron but uh, let's say you go out there and a doe that's perfectly healthy just broke mm-hmm. her leg and you know it's not something you're going to – and a goat, you're going to work on a goat's leg, but uh, a 1,800-pound yeah. cow, you're maybe not going to work on her leg. But um, that that's something that – it can it can happen fairly quickly. Her ovaries need to be within – sometimes we'll say six hours. I prefer two or three hours, but those ovaries need to be within two or three hours of somebody to process them. And so that's that's what takes the time, and that's what needs to be planning – but that's what needs to be planned out. And and is the one thing that I will I will add to what you said is if you think she's gonna die in two weeks, Cameron, I don't want to do this okay. process. This is a thing where you've got a eight-year-old doe that hasn't bred in two years, and you know that she just isn't gonna have yeah. any more babies. And she's healthy. That's the doe we need to work with, not the one that you think's going downhill okay. fast. Those are those are not going to result in the the kind of those are not going to end in the kind of results that you want. And is there a procedure that like farmers and 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 breeders can do, or is this a procedure they need to have a vet come out and do? Um, I was just having I was just having this conversation with my fiance yesterday. I I think there are probably individuals around the country that could do their own work, but I think in general you, you probably would want a vet to do something like that. But some people could, you know, there's people that are trained in different situations. Um, like my my niece could probably take ovaries out of a goat because she would know where to find them because of her her work knowledge. But, you know, it's, it's going to be a veterinarian. Okay. Uh, that's great information there. Cameron, we had a um, one of our uh, followers pose a question for Stanton. Do you want to share that with yes, him? Yes, kind of see what absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Um, this is from G from Minnesota. So he's got an alpine dry yearling. He did not get her bred last year. Um, and and he tried to AI her last year. Um, thought she was, you know, settled, really good, transcervical AI. Her and it seemed, quote, unquote, normal inside when we got her to the hood. Um, she didn't stick her first breeding this year as an alpine dry yearling. Um, and he thought she was coming into heat. Um, you know, when he submitted this question here. Um, however, she does have a smaller vulva than normal here. He, he this uh, person is trying to decide if she would maybe be a good candidate for lap outs AI, if the issue is outside of the uterine horn, or if this animal might potentially be a, um, have some type of other issue. I would, so he's AI'd yes. her, so he knows that, that he can get to the cervix yes. through her vagina. So, so that, that would be the one thing, you know, he said a small vulva. I would definitely be concerned about a hermaphrodite, but um, you know, I think that ideally, I think you get into something like a coming two year old, that animal needs to be mm-hmm. bred. She, she needs to see a okay. live buck. And that, I mean, that's just, I feel like Dr. <laughs> Laura here in, in terms of, of talking about that, but that's what, that's I think that 
that that animal needs to see a live buck. If a live cover and fresh semen can't do the trick, that's something that that she needs to have a baby and then start worrying about maybe being able to AI her later on. Another option would be trying to put an embryo in her, and that would just be from my years of getting cattle donors pregnant is, you know, if you can't get them pregnant with a bull or you can't get them pregnant with an embryo or with an AI, you go to an embryo. And so then she becomes a recipient. Okay. Right. I think that's solid advice there, Laura. I guess anything to add without actually seeing the animal and not and just having some, some years of goat experience along with Stanton. Yeah, I would say the same thing. I, I think sometimes you have those kids that you just know is going to be that future national champion and you look at them and you think, but I've got to make this AI breeding. And I think that's understandable, but um, you know, gosh, if she's not going to, if she's not going to stick with a live breeding, um, do you really want to put that time and money and effort into getting her settles with a lap AI? And this would be another question that I would have, and maybe we could uh, chew on this a little bit. Animals that we know the animals that have breeding or reproductive problems, we know that that's a, a hereditary, a hereditary trait. So, um, you know, do you really want to put that much money into the first breeding on an animal that might have that trait that passes on? Yeah, that's a great consideration there to have um, when it comes to that. And from my experiences, generally some of the prettiest kids in the pen that we've had um, may have been hermaphrodites. Um, just just last year, actually, one of our nicest kids we had, when we could catch her and show her, she uh, we actually thought she was a hermaphrodite to start her life because she just looked so much bigger and she had such a uh, more of a buckier head as a younger uh, doe. Did you yes, get a bread camera? She did. She freshened nice. Um, was really one of our hot alpine yearling milkers we had, um, and then she sadly passed away uh, unexpectedly. So, oh. so, um, but yeah, yeah, we, you know, so sometimes you can just tell. Other times you just kind of got to wait it out when it comes to um, finding uh, if, out if a goat is a hermaphrodite or not. Um. So I have another question mm -hmm. for Stanton. Um. Those of us that listened to our podcast a, a couple of weeks ago, we mentioned that there was a lot of discussion about cloning at the recent board of directors meeting. Um, what can you tell us about cloning or what do you want to tell us about cloning? Is that, is that a viable uh, way to increase your um, herd and how's that working? You can definitely clone goats. Uh, Transova does clone goats, and and we do have plenty of clone babies across the country, whether those be females or bucks. And by saying bucks, that reminded me of something that's been very popular from a, a boar goat or weather goat process is taking sa a sample of a weather and then making a buck for breeding purposes from that top end weather. That's so, so let me see if I get this right. You're saying like um, a goat, a, a goat weather that is, let's say wins um, the Ohio state fair. It is just the hot weather for the year, mm -hmm. taking a, a, a cell line from him and cloning him with the purpose of making a buck that will throw weathers that look like him. Correct. 
And so that's, that's something obviously in the Daryville market, it's not something we would necessarily talk about, but that's, that's the, those are the opportunities with the cloning technology. Interesting. Being able to make a buck from a weather. So there's lots there. There have been lots of successful clones in the dairy cattle industry. Um, Apple comes to Mm -hmm. mind. Um, Lots of Mm -hmm. Apple clones have been very successful in the show ring. And I think one of my very favorite pictures was a picture of Apple and then either one or two of her clones Mm -hmm. who all won their classes at um, Madison, I think at the world dairy expo. Do you see that? Could, do you see that happening with goats? It, it could, it, it probably part of that whole process. So, uh, and I know this is a sticker shock figure to throw out there, but a, an initial animal cloned animal at this point in time is going to be around $13,000. And so to, to make that baby, you have to have the, the potential market to cover that expense. And so, you know, that is possible in the, the full blood market for sure. The, the weather market, the Kiko market, those, those markets have 10 to $20,000 animals. The dairy goat market does have that on occasion at spotlight sales. Hi, Nigerian goat breeders. <laughs> well, I was going to say the Lamanches. So, so yeah. there is that possibility. Oh, Lamanches. Yes, Lamanches too. Mm-hmm. There we go. So that's, you, you've got to have, the justification of spending that kind of money. But I've seen, we've had the, the privilege of working with a cattle client that has not only done cloning in the, on the male side of things with bulls, but he also has cloned a lot of females. And those, those have been, it's been very interesting to work with that from a reproductive standpoint, not just a reproductive standpoint, but a, a genetic standpoint of, you know, those, those females or those, those donors may be able to make 20, 30, 40, $60,000 heifers. And if that, that donor makes that kind of a quality animal every time you can reproduce her through cloning technology, line up literally five or six donors with on a given day in IVF, aspirate them, reverse sort their semen and and produce heifer heifers all out of the same bowl or five different bowls because you've got five different donors or you know that that then come through and they mostly have heifers and they're twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollar heifers. I mean that that is a possibility with cloning where you look at having that one animal do that, you're gonna make one well, you're not going to make more than one, but you're going to make, let's say, six heifers that year, that that season, or 10 heifers that season out of that one, as opposed to 50. Yeah. Wow. And so where, it's, Mind where, blowing. <laughs> where it works is those, those females that, I keep saying female, but I'm talking cows in this case, but every time she's got that top end heifer or that top end steer or you know, you know that she's going to do that. I, I think of your doe fiction. You know, she always, her daughters were repeats. You know, she just, she just threw them out and, and had every doe that she made was a good doe. And that if you had five of her to make 50 kids every year, you know, that's, that's just where it, where it can come into play. Obviously it costs money. 
obviously it has to it it has to make a profit and a reach a reasoning a reasonable return to to be able to spend that but that's the the out there thinking about something like that that is and stan excuse if i this may be a stupid question but i'm gonna ask can you pick the sex of what you are cloning. So if I want to clone uh, a buck, for example, can I choose it to, to be a buck or is it just like luck of the draw like it is with kidding? No, it is. When you're cloning, you are, think of a, if you think the easiest way to put it in your head, Cameron, I think is to think about identical twins and in okay. people. They are, those identical twins are genetically identical mm -hmm. as well. They don't just look like they're not just phenotypically identical. They are genetically identical. They are clones, natural clones. And so if you are cloning a buck or a doe, you have that. You are only if you clone a buck, you're only going to get a okay. buck because the sex of that buck is genetics. It's, it's genetic, part of that genetic, genetic code. Yep. Blueprint. So okay. you are just copying that, and along with everything else in its DNA, you are copying that sex. So will a clone be marked just like <clears throat> what it's made, like its parent? I don't know. That's not the word. I've but... always been, and I, I, that leads into a good conversation you didn't even know you were leading <laughs> into, Laura. Oh, good. But the, so the, the, they will be similar colored. So if you have, I, they explain it more so like with a Holstein. If that Holstein has on its legs, has 40% white on its legs, the clones will have approximately 40% white. It may not be in the exact same spot on the legs, but it will be about that same amount. And so, so they're very similar in color, but not identical. So what if I have an Oberhausley that I cloned? It would be. Would it come over Hosley color because that's part of the breed, or is there a chance that it could have a horrible white belt or a white star on its head or something like that? No, I would say if there, let's say she has a white dot on her chest. Uh huh. That clone is probably going to have a white dot on her chest somewhere. Okay. But it's not going. It's going to be, and it might. She may even be the same shade of a. Okay. You know, or, or red or interesting, but they're going to be similar. And the, the interesting part of this is that, like I said, we have a client that we've worked with that, that really takes advantage of cloning technology in cattle. And he had five or six clones of the same donor at Transova. And I was had my son Grant with me doing shots one night and we had. All these clones are on the same day because they're going to the same bowl for shots and, and aspirations. And they were all lined up. And Grant said, are these all sisters? Because they all, they not only are the same structure, they're the same big, strong donor with the same general color. I mean, they're, they're very similar. I mean, you can tell that they're, like he said, for him, it was sisters. For, for my knowledge, they're identical, and they 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 do look very similar. That's Those apples look very similar. Yeah, even even with different management, they're going to look very similar. Yeah, very interesting. Here. Uh, one thing I, I did want to talk about here was uh, reverse sorting, and you had kind of mentioned some of the successes in cattle um, when we talked earlier here, but I know you wanted to touch on it 
um, for the future of transova genetics and what that could offer the small ruminant world. So what is reverse sorting? So reverse sorting is a, is a phrase that transova coined and taking a conventionally frozen unit of semen of any, you know, any, of any age, as long as it's been taken care of properly and has originally was good quality, you can take semen from, in this case, where we've done it with cattle for years, is taking conventionally frozen semen, thawing that semen, running it through a sorting machine, which don't ask me <laughs> about that technology. I, I can't explain yeah. that to you well enough. And and then sorting for the the sex of sperm that you want. So if you want heifers or bulls, then you you sort out heifer sperm and then fertilize those eggs, those oocytes, with that sperm. And then you're going to have, the accuracy is not 100%. It's about 90 to 95% with females and 85 to 90% with males. But you're going to have mostly the sex that you want on the calves that are that are coming out. Now we're, you know, we're, as I mentioned, we're, the whole IVF process is very new to the goat industry in terms of commercially available IVF. That technology, you know, we're, we're, we're still using conventional semen, unsorted semen in goat IVF. But we, in the near future, hope to have reverse sorted semen or sex sorted semen available for goat breeders to, to be able to use that technology and, go and so is that, could yeah, you, I, oh, no, oh, I have a question ahead, on the Cameron, process, sorry. I guess. And, and so would that be commercially, would that be semen exclusively through, through sold through Transova Genetics? Or could I bring semen up to either the location in Chillicothe or Sioux City and, and get my semen and sexed before I, you know, um, AI a goat? Yes, you can. You can sort goat semen and freeze okay. the semen we haven't we haven't done that i know that a company in the united states has done that and that's another option is using sex to okay. frozen semen that's a terminology i would use for that is a fresh ejaculate sorted and then frozen and i'd call that sex frozen you could use sex frozen semen in ivf i would assume i haven't okay. been involved in any of it but i would assume you could use sex frozen semen in conventional speculum AI or laparoscopic AI. And then you can, you know, in, in talking about using reverse sorted semen, you can, we, we will use whatever semen you have frozen. It doesn't matter if it was associated with Transova or made by Zia yep. Capri back in the early eighties, you know, it, it can be sorted. That's the, the beauty, the beauty of reverse sorting is that you can sort any semen that was that is frozen. Now I shouldn't say any. There's going to be some that isn't good enough quality. There's some that isn't physically going to sort in that we we cannot pull the the hep, the does from the yep. box sperm and can't physically get it to separate enough to be able to sort it. So um, I can't say that 100% of the time we'll be able to sort your semen, but that a majority will be sortable. Is that cool or what? I mean, that's, you know, to think that, that you could, that you could 
potentially make a breeding that you're 90 percent sure is going to be doe kids wow that's yeah awesome. uh, i think about it on the downside though is uh what if it doesn't happen and you built it up to be all excited and then you're kind of disappointed with it um I, I, and i know <laughs> i have some friends that have used some sex human in the dairy cattle industry and then they sent me a snapchat and it's oh man i use sex semen and it's a bull calf and you're just like wow that's really disappointing and i'm i'm sorry that you invested in in this semen and whatnot uh but it, it is an exciting time in the industry when we look at the, the possibilities of it and and yeah i mean you you mentioned that yes you've you've built up the the excitement to to have that sex semen and then have a bowl it, but but in all honesty, Cameron, that's not any different than the dough that you lap AI'd and 28 days later came into heat. That's still a it's still yeah. a disappointment. Um, there's still the the excitement of doing anything different or new or fun and 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 then having a bad result. I've definitely dealt with the situations where there's not as many heifer calves as there should have been or too many bull calves, and it just it's a disappointment. But we we hopefully handle that and, and that's the yeah. or, or or you could say that's what makes breeding livestock um new and exciting all the time because you know if, if it were a sure thing every time what would the fun be in that <laughs> yeah no i agree but that, and that's the risk we all take in in and trying new things and in um you know using this technology but all in all the repro technology that you've talked about stanton um has been awesome and it's definitely going to be progressing the dairy goat industry forward do you have anything else to talk to us about Stanton here i would i would yeah. like to talk about i because we kind of we yeah. got away from it when i had to go yeah. get a drink of water um you know coming back mm -hmm. to idf and and where where would you want to use idf where would you want to use conventional flushing <clears throat> i'll tell people all day long you're you're going to more than likely get the most embryos out of a conventional flush with a live cover. And that that's where you're going to, you're going to get the, the most embryos at this point in time. <clears throat> and you're going to get the best preg rate from those embryos. But when you, you have to also take into consideration in that situation that you've got to generally have the live cover. I've, I have been hearing of some positive results with speculum AI in those situations and then obviously where you could ship in a fresh ejaculate and maybe do some splash AI with a doe. But you've got to remember that's a surgery and you generally need to use fresh semen, but I, I don't think that's a have to situation. Where IVF comes into play and, and a, a good positive initially is that laparoscopic work and no, and no incisions. I'm not going to say we're never going to have adhesions with IVF, but there are less adhesions and less complications with IVF than a conventional flush. And then where you can really work into some advantages are using that, that rare semen that you only have one unit of and, or you know there's only 10 units in the country. And so there's the opportunity to use that rare semen. And when I'm talking the opportunity, I'm talking about using one unit of semen on four to six does. And we can spread, in IVF, we can spread that one unit over so many oocytes and so many does. That that becomes pretty 
pretty important in utilizing that rare semen. And I've even, I know I'm throwing extra stuff out here, but, you know, we've seen with cattle semen that people have a $15,000 unit of a, a bull and they will sell slots in IVF to people to be able to go on a given day and fertilize to that semen and they'll sell say 10 slots to that for that one unit of semen and make a, ret a big return on their money. And so that could even be done in the, the goat world with rare semen, expensive semen, semen that people that's in high demand, but there's not a lot of. <clears throat> and so that's something to keep in mind with, with IVF and the advantages of being able to use frozen semen and limited semen. Wow, that's that's a lot. Yeah, and, and, it, and it kind <laughs> of reminds cool. me of what the Spotlight Sale Committee has been doing with, you know, potentially putting embryos in the Spotlight Sale and seeing it that. And, and, and that that's a great, um, you know, consideration to have if you're on the Spotlight Sale Committee and listening to the podcast and, and kind of seeing how um, that could be worked in in a potential genetic opportunity for interested buyers. And it could not only be embryos, but, you know, I'm talking about auctioning those slots off, mm -hmm. you know, that you were going to offer you the chance to have your dough aspirated and and use this one portion, a small portion of that unit of semen. And that's something else that this is longer term thinking. But with those $15,000 units of uh, bull semen that we've had, we literally had cows being aspirated in Maryland and in Texas and in California and in Ohio, they all have to end up at one lab to be fertilized because that one unit of semen mm -hmm. is at that lab. But you can literally do does across the country on the same day during the same time period and get them all fertilized to that same unit. Of yeah. Semen. And I, and I think that that's a perfect segue into my next question for you, Stanton is if I want to participate in, you know, any of these programs, do I have to come to a Transova genetics facility, like in Chillicothe, Sioux city? I know there's one in, in the tri cities in Washington. I know there's one in Maryland. Do I have to go to a facility or would you guys come out to my farm and do this? For it just okay. depends on the process and you know, what part you are doing laparoscopic AI, we can, we can pretty much, I guess we could say we could come to your farm for, for whatever portion we do. Thank you. Whether it's lap AI, conventional flush or an IVF or just transfers, it can all be done on your farm. It can all be done at a certain location. You can group up people at your farm. So say people that are two hours from you, you could all come to your farm and, and do, we could come, come there and do the work. It just has to be <clears throat> coordinated with to have so that we can have the right people where they need to and be. And so if I right want to do an IVF or an embryo transfer <laughs> and even a laparoscopic AI, how soon, if I want to do this for 2021, how soon do I need to be talking with the folks at my genetics company or, or Transova Genetics to um, start coordinating this? I would say... For, for lap AIs, that's a, a quicker schedule and a quicker process. You know, I would say maybe a month in advance with a 
IVF or an ET, I would sure like, I would sure try to get two or three months ahead. And, and some people will start calling to make sure they're on the, the calendar, you know, they'll call in the spring for fall work. So the earlier, the better, but there's times I just had a guy call me this week that wanted to do, had a schedule for people doing some work on his farm in early November. And it just so happened that we worked out the, the right dates worked and we got him in for us for the end of October. And so that, that was a last minute thing that happened to work out, but it's not something you would want to do if you were trying to schedule up your entire breeding yeah. program, you know, it would be yeah, earlier. No, definitely here. Um, and then, so obviously with these, there's certain protocols as well that you have to make sure in order that to get them to super ovulate or um, come into heat at the right time for the lap AIs. Do you, as Trendzilla Genetics, do you provide the um, the protocols in place for each of these procedures, or do I need to talk to my local veterinarian, or how? What does that look like? So we would provide you with the the entire protocol and work with you through that protocol. You know what what you needed to do when, and we can also help you out with you. You can get the drugs from your local. Um, vet or get them through Valley, Valley Vet or, um, you know, any kind of yeah. Pipestone Vet, any any kind of company like that. Or we can help you by supplying those drugs for you as well. And so anything that we do is going to involve a cedar, most times Estromate or Lutalize, sometimes a GnRH product, but not very often. And then faltropin for the stimulating hormone, and then for recipients and lap AIs, we'll have we'll use PG six hundred, and we can supply all of those to you and help you with that. Awesome, yeah, that's that's great because I know when I we did our lap AI, uh, the veterinarian we work with, they provided the procedure and then told us what we needed to um, have, as well as my fiance now told me um, what. Um, you know, drugs I needed to have on hand, and that was great. But it's something that's a little daunting if you don't know uh, what's going on um, and if you um, haven't necessarily done the process before. Right. So I think I think this is just a fascinating topic, and I think we could talk about this for another two hours. As we're trying to wrap up today, Stanton, is there anything that we haven't touched on that you think is really important for people to know? as they're considering maybe uh, taking the next step in using reproductive technology? Something that I, I think that I think education is, is important. And part of that education is, is just asking questions and you don't, I guess what I want to say is you don't have to plan on, you don't, if you want to know something, just call and ask or ask a friend or ask somebody else in the industry, in the, in the ET IVF industry. I, you don't have to be planning to do five flushes next year in order for me to talk to you about what a flush is. I would, I welcome people to call and ask questions, and quiz me about things, quiz people in our company about things. Just, just ask questions, educate yourself. There's, there's so many, options out there but it doesn't mean that you can't talk to us without with 
I you're, can't you're say not going right to build them for your time. I'm going to talk to you whether you ever do business yeah. with me or not. I want to I want to educate people about and help people better understand the embryo transfer and IVF world. So there's no obligation. No, no obligation exactly. to buy. You can just talk to you. And and there's so much because you it may something like a posthumous collection of semen may come in handy for you in seven years. But unless you knew about it and heard about it, you're not going to even know it's a possibility seven years from now. And so educating yourself is is important and just knowing what's out there. And you you may be able to help somebody else down the road with something if you know about what an opportunity or what yeah, could happen. No, yes, that's great. Very Stan, good. where can we um, find some more information, either about Transova Genetics or yourself, and then find your contact information if, if we have people interested? I think very basically just transova.com and you can generally anything that if you say you you hit the contact us button it's going to eventually come to me if it's if it's about small room and at work you know just just get on that website um laura you know if you you get on the goat gab facebook page and get to laura laura can share my number or or anybody's number within our company and and try to get you in contact, but transova.com would be a absolutely. A good start. And I, I will say that those people at transova genetics, um, especially in that small ruminant location that I've, that I've had the opportunity to meet and work with um, are phenomenal people. <clears throat> they have incredible brains and, and truly on the pulse of the industry when it comes to reproductive technologies. And they're yeah, nice. Let's too. not forget that they are very nice. <laughs> Cameron, you want to talk about what we're going to do yes, next week? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so next week, we are going to be talking about, um, we're going to switch gears here and talk about um, goat shows and what it takes to plan a great goat show. Um, we're going to be talking about some of our experience with great goat shows, some experiences with um, less than stellar goat shows, and, and we're going to try not to say uh, names of these goat shows as well. Many clubs might be planning their spring and summer shows now, so we'd like to give you some things to think about as you're trying to put together a show. We're just going to keep our fingers crossed that 2021 is going to work out for shows next year. So, um, you know, I hope it inspires a little bit of excitement. And as always, if you have any thoughts that you'd like to share, um, ideas of things that we might not think about to discuss in planning those stellar shows, please get a hold of us through our Goat Gab page on Facebook or, um, you know, you can email either Stan or either Cameron or myself at any time. Um, we'd Absolutely. Love to Don't you. forget to like, rate, subscribe, review. Again, we're on iTunes and Spotify and anchor.com for our Goat Gab podcast. Um, and if you have any questions at all, uh, just let us know. We love hearing from you guys as listeners uh, too. And we've had a lot of great submissions as well um, throughout just the four weeks we've been doing this. Well, have a great week, Cameron. And thank you, Stanton, so much for uh, gracing us with your presence today and yes, being part of our you, podcast. Thank you, Thank Stanton. you very much, Cameron and Laura. Yep. Thank you. Yeah.